Good morning, great church friends and family. So good to have you joining us this morning. So today I have the glorious opportunity to wrap up the sermon series we've been doing for the past few weeks, Words to Live By. We've been looking at some of the words that Jesus spoke that can encourage us. And look, I think you'd all agree with me. It could well take all eternity to study, examine, understand all the words of Jesus. That would just be an impossible task for us. But we chose some of the words of Jesus that we feel are appropriate for where people are at now or the challenges we're facing. And this week, I want to take a look at a parable that Jesus spoke. Many of the words that Jesus spoke, many of the words to live by that he shared with people were in story form. So he spoke in parables. And I want to look today at one of the most foundational parables. Why do I call it the foundational parable? Because when his disciples asked him, Lord, what does this parable mean? He said, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? So I'm sure you're excited to find out with me what is this parable that we should understand in order to understand other parables. So Father, I just pray and bless this time together. I bless the word that is going to be spoken. I ask that beyond what I'm saying, beyond just my own understanding, that the anointing of the Holy Spirit would come upon the words that are spoken, would come upon the scriptures that are being read and shared today. I pray that every person watching and listening would receive the power of your presence to transform their hearts to be more like you, that not one of us would leave listening to what you had to say without being changed by the power of your word in Jesus' name. Amen, friends. So let's dive in. The story is in a number of the Gospels, but I'm going to take a look at the one that is spoken of in Mark, Mark chapter 4. And it starts by saying, Jesus taught many things in parables. And he starts by saying, listen, listen to me. In other words, pay attention. What I'm about to share with you is important. And so I would say, listen, put your phone aside. You're welcome to keep drinking your coffee. That's a very vital part of every sermon. And he starts by saying, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, that relates to a lot of us in South Africa. We are a farming nation. Many of you may either have farmed or know someone who farms. I actually have a friend who has this huge farm in Michigan in the U.S. with a two, nearly three-story John Deere machine that's like a house on wheels that he let me go and join him in. And, and he said to me something very interesting. Andrew, do you know that most farmers actually should qualify for a Nobel Prize? And I was like, why is that? And he said, because mostly they are outstanding in their field. They are outstanding in their field. I, you can't argue with that logic, right? And so this is a story about a farmer who is outstanding in his field and walking around sowing seed. And as he was scattering the seed, we see the seed falling on four different types of soil. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because it was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered and died because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so they could not bear grain. The fourth type, still other seed, is the one we want to be, is the good soil. It came up, it grew and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60 or even a hundred times. And then Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. So 
the disciples, although they had ears, obviously didn't quite hear what Jesus was trying to get at. And so in verse 10, when he was alone, the twelve and the other disciples around him asked him about the parable. And Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? And he goes on to describe what this parable means. And I want us to look at this as we be talking about the words of Jesus, words to live by, that as Jesus and, and others have sown the seed of the word through our sermons, through our messages, through what you're reading in your Bible, it's not going to have the same impact on every person depending on the state of your heart. And I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to speak to us that he will show you things in your heart that you can do and that need to be adjusted for the word to bear more fruit. So he goes and he says, verse 14, so the farmer sows the word. Now, each of these first three types of soil, I will call enemies of the word. And so after looking at the words to live by, I want to conclude, but what are the enemies of these words? What are the things that will keep you from being able to receive and reap a harvest from the word that has been shed? I'm going to briefly comment on the first two because my primary focus is going to be on the third, the thorns. And so the first one, verse 15, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away what was sown on them. So the path, let me just explain this. You know, in our farms today, we have fences, we block it off, we have walls, whatever. You know, people don't walk through our fields. But in those days, you must remember that it was a very communal type of setup. And there were paths crisscrossing every single field that everyone used to walk. They didn't have highways that they would necessarily go on. People used to walk most of the time. And so these paths were held in common by all the farmers between their plots of land. And over time, the soil on these paths would compact. It was never plowed. It was never fertilized. It was primarily a place where people would walk, where it was downtrodden. And this hard ground represents someone with a hardened heart. You can hear the word, but you can set that seed can, can actually access it, but it just almost like bounces off. And so it sits above the surface. It can't take root. It's got nowhere to go. And it's very easy for Satan to come and steal it away for it to just have no impact whatsoever because the ground is hard and impermeable. The state of these people's hearts is hard. And friends, we know most of us have places in our hearts where We've been downtrodden. I have. And if you have areas in your heart, maybe you don't have a hard heart fully, but we all have parts of our hearts that are still hard. Things that have happened where we've, where we've built walls, where we've uh, just not gone back to plow and deal with those things. I want to encourage you the words of Scripture. You know, in Ezekiel, God makes two promises. Ezekiel 11, and he repeats it again. In Ezekiel 36, verse 26, he says, I will take away from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Who wouldn't want that? And there's so many times I pray, I'm like, Jesus, you've shown me a part of my heart that is still hard. I ask that you would replace it now with something soft, something plowed, something that is able to receive what you want to plant in me. Some of you might need some counseling or ministry, someone to pray with you. Please just contact us. Get on that WhatsApp contact number that is below this video and we'll be able to get with you and help pray with you through parts of your life where your heart has become hard. The second type of soil is the rocky places. And he says in verse 16, so others like seeds sown in rocky places, they hear the word and they receive it with joy. It's like, wow, that's good. Man, that's great stuff. But since they have no root, 
They last only a short time. And listen to what he says. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now, in our series here and now, Mastering Your Monday, we covered the understanding of difficulties and troubles quite well. So I'm not going to go into that in any more detail. But there is an aspect of the rocky soil that I want to quickly mention before I get to the thorns. You see, the, the rocky places are is the shallow soil where the plow hasn't plowed up all the rocks and removed the shale and the hard ground. And so it's got all of this cluttering and, and, and stones and rocks that are competing for the good soil. And many, many believers are like this. They, they just want to add Jesus to their lives, but they don't want to get rid of the other clutter that's there in their hearts or in their minds or in the way that they think or their value system. So many people come to Jesus. Jesus, I just want to add you to my life. I want to keep doing the things I'm doing. I want to keep the rocks in place that I've got. I want to keep those friends, those uh, ungodly things. And I'm just going to add you to my life. And so there's no place for the roots to go. And your hearts aren't fully convicted. So when trouble comes, your faith isn't strong enough to stand. And I want to say, if there's things in your life that you have not given up, it's the best thing to do is to say, Jesus, I choose to die to myself. The things I love, my old value systems, all this other stuff, I choose to give it all up and I receive what you have for me because you created me and you know what's best for me. And so I encourage you to deal with either hardness in your hearts or rocky places where there are things that are competing for Jesus, where he's not the center of your life. Jesus at the center is the only way we can be fully satisfied in him. Now, let's move on to what I want to uh, share on specifically in more detail, and that is the thorns. So, verse 18. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, they hear the word, but the worries or the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Here Jesus lists three thorn-thinking things that throttle and thwart what he wants to do in your life. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things, they come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And then he says others, like seeds sown on good soil, they hear the word, they accept it, they allow it to go deep, it produces a crop 30, 60 or 100 times what was sown. That's the soil we want to be. But I want to say this. In counseling so many, and living in a city like Johannesburg in particular, I find that these thorns are the enemies of the word that are so constantly bombarding us. Television, movies we watch, the business world that we live in, the busyness of the city of Johannesburg that we're in. And just kind of what you pick up all around you are these thorns that start to program a wrong value system. And so I want to look at it. What does it say about the thorns? It says they come in, they choke. It's also translated they strangle or they drown out the word, making it unfruitful. I want to have a look at what Luke says when he talks about this in Luke chapter 8 verse 14. It says that the thorns choke out the seeds. They are choked so that they do not mature. It doesn't say that these people fall away. It doesn't say that they leave Jesus or, or don't serve him. These are people who are believers. They go to church. They read their Bibles. They profess a faith in Jesus. They, but they don't mature. I was like that, I have to say. 
I was like that. These thorns were so much a part of my life that I could hear the word, I could pray, I could read my Bible, but I couldn't mature because there were these competing elements in my heart. And my encouragement today as we share this word is that you would allow the Holy Spirit to come and remove those thorns, remove the competition to allow the fullness of Jesus and his character to come forth in you. You know, when mankind rebelled, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, what was part of the curse? Remember? Thorns and thistles. And thorns are not just part of the curse naturally. There's also spiritual thorns that come as a result of our rebellion against God. And so Jesus lists three of these, three worldly ways of thinking that act as spiritual thorns, choking out the truth in our souls, so common in the city that we live in. So let's dive into each of them very briefly. The first one, it's pretty self-explanatory really, the worries and the cares of this life. Now, this word worries is the Greek word merimna, and it comes from two words. The first word meaning to split, the second word meaning the mind, to split or divide the mind. In other words, having my mind divided and split through anxiety and worry. Anxiety divides and splits our minds, causing us to focus on the trouble, the, the lies of the enemy instead of the truth of God's word. These two are always competing for our attention. Lies, truth. Darkness, light. Truth is light. Lies are darkness. The enemy is constantly lying to us. We are constantly being bombarded with the lies of this world and its ways of thinking. And unless we are working at replacing those lies with the truth of Jesus, we will end up being anxious. Our minds will be divided. The, uh, you've heard the meaning of uh, the, the, an acronym for fear. False evidence appearing real. Lies lead to fear. Fear is based in lies. Peace is the result of truth. It's our choice what we're going to focus our minds on. Anxiety divides the mind. Instead of focusing on the truth, we are distracted by the lies and fear results. What did Jesus have to say about worry? He said a lot. But I'm going to look particularly at Matthew 6, which was a great scripture, more words to live by from Jesus. Listen to what he says. Matthew 6, 19 to 34. And I'm going to leave some stuff out for the sake of time. But therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear, or how well your beard grows or doesn't grow. Don't worry about these things. Is not life more important than food? Is not the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. And he goes on and talks about how they are taken care of you uh, uh, by their heavenly Father. And then in verse 27, he says, So who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life. Why worry? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the unbelievers run after all these things. Don't you know your heavenly Father knows that you need them? And here's the greatest verse that many of you have probably heard before. But you, you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. And listen to what he closes with. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Notice Jesus didn't say, oh, you'll never have troubles. You come to me. There's this false gospel. Come to Jesus. He'll take all your problems away. No, actually, coming to Jesus and living for Jesus is the narrow path. It is the harder choice. It is the harder journey. 
There will be troubles. There will be persecution. We have an enemy. He will come against us. He said each day will have trouble of its own. He didn't say there won't be anything to worry about. But what he is saying is it's your choice. Where are you going to focus your mind? Are you going to focus your mind on his truth or your troubles? Are you going to allow your mind to be divided, marimna, leading to anxiety where I can't see and embrace the truth because I'm so focused on the lies that are coming from my troubles? Don't let the troubles divide your mind from undistracted devotion to the one who holds your future because he always makes things right. It will always work out in the end. And if it hasn't worked out yet, it means it's not the end. The most common phrase Jesus spoke over and over to his disciples was two words, fear not. Do you know that the Bible states fear not 365 times throughout the scriptures, one for every day of the year? We consider the life of someone like Paul, for instance. How much trouble did Paul have in his life? How many challenges did he have? I hope I never have to face half the challenges Paul faced. But what did he say? Philippians 4. You don't have to flip there. You can look at it on the screen. Philippians chapter 4. Pastor Sammy uh, alluded to this last week in her teaching. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends your understanding. Your understanding is looking at the trouble and saying, you should be worried. You should be anxious. But my understanding is transcended by the peace of God that comes and guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. And then he moves on and he goes through the thrapple thoughts that Sammy introduced last week. Finally, brothers, and I've rearranged it to match thrapple, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is admirable, whatever is pure, praiseworthy, lovely, or excellent. Think about these things. So friends, can I give you a little phrase? When thorn thinking threatens to throttle, then think thrapple thoughts through the thoroughly therapeutic thrill of thankfulness through thick and thin. If an apple a day can keep the doctor away, thrapple each day keeps depression at bay. Learn to think upon the truth of his word. The second one is a critical one, especially in this city, the deceitfulness of wealth. Deuteronomy, when it talks about them coming through the wilderness and God's doing miracles for them, then he brings them into the promised land. And in the promised land in Deuteronomy 8, he warns them, he says, when you've eaten and you're satisfied, remember to praise the Lord for the good land he has given you. He's given you this. Be careful that you don't forget him. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied and you've built fine houses and you've settled down and your herds and flocks grow and your gold, etc. is every multiplied, your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Not only will you forget the Lord your God, but he goes on and says, you may say to yourself, it was my power and the strength of my hands that produced all this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. When you read scripture, you see that God is not against us having wealth. He's the one that gives us the ability to produce wealth. Prosperity, blessing, wealth are not the problem. God blesses and provides for his children. He is not opposed to us having wealth and blessing. He doesn't want wealth to have us. And the problem is that for so many people, the the more we run after wealth and that becomes almost our God, wealth has us. And therefore, there's no room left for Jesus. Jesus himself said, friends, here's the truth. 
you can't serve both God and mammon, which was, which was the God of materialism and, and worldly wealth. You cannot serve both God and material worldly wealth. They're going to compete. You have to choose where you're going to put your trust. I can have wealth and I know what God wants me to do with it. I'll say, Lord, thank you for this. What do you want me to do with it? I'll be led by the Spirit. Proverbs 18 describes the deception of wealth as follows. Proverbs 18 verse 10 says, Firstly, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. That is where our trust must be. However, verse 11, But the wealth of the rich is their fortified city in their minds. They imagine it an unscalable wall. That's the deception of wealth. The true issue around uh, this uh, deceptiveness is where our trust and security are. And Paul advises Timothy to the rich that are in his church. He said, 1 Timothy 6 verse 9, People who want to get rich, they will fall into many temptations and a trap into foolish, harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. He carries on in verse 17 and says, So command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Do you see that wealth is not the problem? The deception that wealth can replace God is the problem. What are the phrases Paul uses when he talks to Timothy? He says, those who want to get rich, who desire, who run after it, the love of money, those who are eager for money, those who are putting their hope in wealth instead of God. That's what we need to stay away from. But when we get wealth, we must exercise wisdom. We must be led by the Spirit in our giving, in the handling of our wealth without putting our trust and security in it instead of God. When I, when I, Paul talks to the Corinthians in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 onwards, he says that God is going to provide for you when you are generous. And if you are generous and if you sow what he gives you, he will return to you bread for you to eat and seed for you to sow. Which means this bread that I say, this is for me and my family to enjoy. This bread is for me to leave an inheritance for my children and my children's children so that I'm not a burden to them in my old age. But the seed is for me to be generous on every occasion. God wants us to be generous. Part of the purpose of wealth is to have the resources to advance the kingdom and to bless others who don't have. So generosity ends up being the true test of whether our faith and our hope and our trust is in wealth or in God. And that's somewhat linked to the last thorn. The third thorn is the desire for other things. More than what I have now. That's the desire that caused Adam and Eve to fall. They, 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 the lie of the enemy to them was God's holding out on you. There's more. You can have more. And many people have come to ruin because of this lust for more that is so common in Joburg. The spirit of comparison that leads to coveting. I'm sure all of you have fallen into this. I have. Someone will always have a better car. Someone else will always have a better house. Someone will always have a better job, better clothes, a better family, better, better beard than you. And, and we constantly compare it. And here's how our human nature works. We're always comparing up. We're always comparing, oh, the guy's got a better car than me. That guy's got a nicer house. And something that God said to me many years back, he said, Andrew, learn to compare downwards instead of upwards. Learn to look at those who have way less than you. Do you know how many people in our church live in Zonspray, places where they don't have running water, where they don't have a private bathroom or toilet? We, we live in such luxury, the majority of us, and yet we grumble and complain so easily. 
And I am constantly comparing myself to those who have so much less than me. And I'm so grateful. Lord, thank you. How can I bless them? How can I use what you've given me to make a difference? Give you a phrase on this one. Counteract comparison coveting through constant contentment. Contentment is the biblical secret. Words to live by. Here's a word. Contentment. Paul talks to Timothy. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out of it. If we've got food and clothing, let's be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation, trap, many foolish, harmful desires. We've read that of what Paul said to Timothy and the love of money being the root of all evil. But the start of that passage that I read is godliness with contentment is great gain. We've read Philippians chapter 4 where he said, don't be anxious about anything. Then we go on in verse 8 and he talks about thrapple thinking. These are the things you should think about. How does Paul conclude that passage in Philippians 4? Verse 12. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here comes the scripture. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You heard people talk about, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Well, it is based on that whole foundation of contentment in Him, not being anxious, thinking the right thoughts, thinking truth, holding on to those words to live by, knowing that no matter whether I'm in need or whether I have plenty, I'm going to be content with what I have in Jesus. And He gives me the strength to be content and not covet and not be anxious and not run after other things and put my trust and faith in anything other than Him. Amen. So friends, if the worries or the cares of this life are trying to strangle and throttle what God wants to do and say in you, Jesus says, fear not, do not worry, seek first my kingdom and all these things will be added to you. If there's deceitfulness of wealth, where places you put in your trust in wealth and possessions instead of in Jesus, remember the Lord is my strong tower, not my wealth. And if there's this desire for other things where it's leading to covetousness, ask God to give you His grace. I can do all things through Christ. It gives me the strength to be content and happy and grateful with what I have. Father, I bless every person who's watched and listened to this. We're asking that you would do a miracle in removing thorn thinking from our lives where, where there's worries, anxiety, cares, where there's deceitfulness of wealth and putting our trust in those things or the desires for other things. I'm asking, my Lord, that you would come right now by the power of your spirit and you would remove these things, that you would come with an anointing to break them down and turn our hearts and our trust away from the lies to the truth of your word, away from running after things that are not of your kingdom, but that we would stand together as a church and seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing that you will add all these other things to us as well. God bless you. I pray that as you examine your hearts this week, I encourage you, examine your hearts. Come before Jesus. Say, Lord, bring your plow. Come and plow the soil of my heart. And if there are hard parts, if there are rocks in place that shouldn't be there, if there are thorns in place, I give you my heart. Start this week. Take this week to allow him to plow your heart and do business with you so that you're someone who can produce 30, 60, and 100 fold of what he invests in you. Amen. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you back at our live service next Sunday. Have an amazing week.